Well, happy Valentine's Day. Um, or maybe I should say happy belated Valentine's Day. Uh, but we are talking about love this morning, uh, and specifically what love compels us to do. Uh, last Sunday we began a new series, a new teaching series out of the Gospel of Matthew uh, that we're calling The Compassion of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, Jesus called his disciples to pray and con- commissioned them to go. And, and this very diverse band of disciples in, in teams of two and groupings of four began duplicating what they had seen Jesus doing. And it all began uh, with Matthew's observation that Jesus had been on a ministry tour through the towns and villages of Galilee. And when he saw how harassed and helpless the people were, uh, the, te- the text says he had compassion on them, and, and then in response commissioned his disciples to multiply his ministry. But last Sunday we, we closed asking a, a specific question. That was them, but what about us? Um, what is Jesus commissioning you to do? Uh, what, what, is, what is he commissioning me to do? What, what is he commissioning us to do as his church? So I want to I read this passage, um, and then we're going to pick it up from there. I'm in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'll jump down to verse 5 through 20. I'm reading out of the New International Version. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along, or a digital device, uh, Bibles. Um, Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. We'll jump down to verse 5. It lists the names of the twelve there. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the ministry or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils to be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, May he help us understand it and apply it in our lives this morning. So initially we just make some observations that are kind of obvious, I suppose. These are ministry instructions for them. If you're following along in your sermon notes, uh, this would be a good time to pull them out. 
and kind of track. Maybe the Holy Spirit would prompt something. Maybe there's something that's memorable you want to return back to or a thought you want to capture. Um, but, but these are ministry instructions for them, for the, the 12 disciples. These are specific instructions as they prepare to go out in six teams of two evangelists. Uh, Jesus, Jesus gave them specifically the where, uh, the what, the how, uh, the with whom, and he told them how to deal with rejection. Uh, that's, that's pretty thorough instructions, right? Uh, so, so the where, they were being sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, this ministry assignment would not be the, to the Gentiles. Uh, they had gone with Jesus to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We read about that back in chapter 8. Uh, nor was this uh, to go to the Samaritans, that kind of half-Jew group of people who lived more or less in the northwest portion of the country. Uh, that was the where, the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, the what? Uh, they were to proclaim, uh, he tells them uh, in verse 7, Proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, that wouldn't have meant very much to non-Jewish people, but it was extremely significant for the Jewish people. They were waiting for God to raise up heaven on earth. Now, now what, what that meant to most of them was the resurrection of the strength and the power of the great nation of Israel. Make Israel great again had been the slogan for centuries. And, and they hearkened back to that era of King David and King Solomon, when it seemed like that was the pinnacle of national security, uh, profitability, prosperity, um, strength, honor. They represented God well in that window of time, was the, the notion that was being carried forward. So, the kingdom of heaven has come near, that was certain to get people's attention. This would attract a crowd. Now, even though what Jesus intended with this phrase was different than they expected. Jesus did not intend on returning to the great days of King David or King Solomon, though he was the heir to King David's throne. This was, uh, this was the coming of the kingdom of heaven was going to be unlike what they anticipated. But the announcement was going to draw a crowd. That was the where, that was the what. The how sounds pretty intense, to be honest. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Jesus was saying, what you saw me do, go out and do that. And they did. They did. The historical record would show they did. And they, they were to go with very few resources. They were, they were going locally, right? Uh, this is their immediate area. Um, th- this was not in any way, shape, or form to look like some kind of money grab. Don't take extra stuff with you. Uh, you're going to poor people. As you go, go like them. Don't take extra sandals. Don't, uh, they, they only got one pair anyway, right? Go in a way that is going to be accessible to those people you're going to. So that's the how. Um, and then there's this with whom. And that's, this is very interesting. Um, most of what Jesus has described here, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse, the, required miraculous intervention. It required God to show up with understanding, insight, words of knowledge. Um, it, this, this, this was miraculous, right? But the with whom seems kind of significantly unmiraculous. Um, in the selecting 
of the with whom, they were expected to use their powers of observation and, and intuition. They're, they're to discern, Jesus says, who is worthy. Or in other words, look, look for those who seem receptive to your message and start with them. Uh, they're, to, they're to be observing, they're to be intuitive in this, and that is where they are to begin. And, and then Jesus gave instructions concerning what they were to do when they were rejected. Okay, So uh, Jesus had experienced both acceptance and rejection. So, so he prepared them for all of this as well. When they were rejected, they were to do several things. Um, number one, to the household that would reject them. So you go, you find somebody worthy, you think it's someone who uh, you can invest in, seems like they're responsive, oops, they're not. You leave, so to that household, Jesus says, it's a very curious phrase, let your peace return to you. So, so in other words, the blessing that you brought in your coming is going to leave in your going. Um, if it's accepted, of course, when you go, that message is going to remain. Your peace is going to remain. The, the, the blessing that you brought is going to remain. But, but if rejected, the message is leaving with you. Um, and, and once the evangelist has left the household, um, that blessing is gone. Your peace has returned to you. Um, now, it means this, but it also means more than this. Um, this is also a reference to the power of words to bless. Um, their words had power. Uh, they'd been commissioned and authorized by Jesus, and they were to do what Jesus did. Jesus spoke with authority. Jesus acted with authority. And his disciples have been commissioned to do the same. And so their words have power, power to convey peace, power to convey blessing. And of course, we get this in part, at least. We understand that in the natural realm, words can have power. Peace to you. I, I want to speak peace to you. Do, you. do you feel that? Like that? Those are powerful words. I mean, if I said something hostile, it would have a very different effect. I love you. No, that's, that's true. I mean, I love this church family. Um, but, but those words have a powerful effect in the natural realm. But, but there's also a spiritual component to this power. I mean, it's referenced from time to time in the Old Testament. The patriarchs would bless their children. Those words were really significant, uh, carried something forward. The Gospel writers have referenced it related to Jesus' healing of people. Um, Jesus often spoke in order to affect change. Jesus spoke a rebuke against the winds and the waves, right? Um, uh, several times it says that he drove out spirits with a word. I think there, maybe there's an imbalance that we need to uh, redress um, as Western modern people. We kind of have this modality where we're, we're hyper-naturalistic. Like if we can't explain it, uh, if we can't see it, uh, it doesn't exist. Um, but the witness of Scripture is that our words actually convey spiritual power. Um, it, it ought to be a warning to the negative and an encouragement to the positive. 
guard your words carefully. They have power. They have power. And if you abuse that power, there will be consequences. Likewise, if you, if you deploy it positively, if you dis- deploy it effectively in your family, to your spouse, to your co-workers, the kind of words you're known to be using, do you, are you a person who brings peace? Your words have power. They're effective. This is how the disciples were to respond when a household rejected them. And then Jesus gave instructions when an entire community rejected them. To the community, Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet. Now, when a Jew had walked through another country, uh, through non-Jewish areas, as they returned to their home country, at least some of them were known, to shake the dust off their robes. So it was the idea that I don't want this foreign soil, this pagan soil, to contaminate the holy land, the holy land of Israel. Shake the dust off before going in. So so this action being done then by Jesus' disciples in the land of Israel was to effective, I mean, it's profound, this is to effectively declare them to be not Israel. Your rejection of the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom of heaven indicates that you are, you're not truly part of God's people. So I must shake the dust off before moving on. So this was a, this was a very serious assessment. This was a serious indictment against the, the Jewish people who did not receive the message of the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom. Because those who, those who were supposed to be God's people were not because they were rejecting God's Messiah, Jesus. So Jesus was giving ministry instructions for them. But before I get to the us question, which which we began with, I want to ask the Israel question. Just because it's kind of right in our face in this passage, what does it mean for Jesus to send them to minister to the lost sheep of Israel? Uh, what, What was the deal with Israel? What is the deal with Israel today? Now, to answer this, I need to, I need to kind of give you a quick history review. And I'll try to keep it living and try to not bore you with this, but it, it'll be quick. Um, if we pulled up a timeline to look at kind of the period of time from the creation, from Adam and Eve through to Jesus, we would note uh, that our ancient father and mother, Adam and Eve, chose sin. Uh, they chose sin, and that sin separated them from God. In fact, that sin became part of the the legacy they passed on to all of their children. And and this legacy of sin separates us from God. Uh, We'll refer to this as original sin. And as much as God in his mercy would have wished to just turn a blind eye and kind of overlook this as an oops, can't, there there are two fundamental and, and really significant problems. Number one, God is holy, and nothing unholy or sinful can be in his presence. So, so, so like gasoline and fire, they cannot coexist. Bring gasoline into the presence of fire, that doesn't exist. Something had to be done about our sin problem. So that was problem number one. The second is that we all know that justice demands justice. The concept of justice requires that justice be done. We feel this every time we encounter something that's wrong. 
Something in us cries out that justice would be done, that the wrong would be identified and declared to be wrong, and then right it. Yes? That sin would be declared to be sinful and purged. But because of God's mercy, he chose that this problem of our unholiness and this problem of our uh, violation of his, his laws of justice, the, the principles of justice in our world, in his mercy he determined that the worst would fall upon himself. God would see to it that the worst of this would fall upon himself. But to get to that redemptive point in history, God chose to work through Adam and his, uh, Abraham rather, and his family. God chose to work through Abraham and his family. Abraham's son, Isaac, and uh, he had a son named Jacob, uh, whose, whose name God changed to Israel. Well, Jacob or Israel had 12 sons. They became the nation of promise, the 12 patriarchs of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Um, this was the nation through whom God would bring his grace and his answer to this problem of unholiness and his violation of justice in our world. And, and God would, would affect justice by taking upon himself the punishment for all who will turn to him and be saved. So, so Israel and his sons became God's means to bring his rescue. God gave uh, the nation the law through Moses a few centuries later. Um, that, that, that law became kind of a nanny to coach them in this, this role uh, of being uh, the ones through whom redemption would come. Um, the, the law would encourage the nation of Israel to be witnesses to the world around, um, that other nations would come. Well, what does a witness do? Well, right, a, a witness tells what they know. And, and, and so what the nation of Israel knew and was to represent to the nation was, your creator loves you and is coming to rescue you, so turn to him and be saved, all you people. Israel was to be the light on the hill. Uh, Jerusalem was to be the place where people would come and encounter their creator God and be restored to him. Now Israel, by and large, was an ineffective and unfaithful servant. And by and large is maybe overstating it. They were, they were not as effective a servant as they needed to be. Uh, they disappointed God many, many times. Um, but there was hope. So listen to the hope and the expectation the Old, Pres the Old Testament prophet Isaiah spoke concerning this, this deal. So th this is the middle of one of the servant psalms, servant, servant songs of Isaiah. Uh, prophetic songs anticipated God bringing his faithful servant to do what his less than faithful servant Israel had been unable to do. This is Isaiah 15, uh, 49. Starting at verse 6, just listen to, to this. The Lord says, this is Isaiah reporting, The Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. To him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. 
Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Back in chapter 9, verse 36 of Matthew, uh, Jesus saw the, the, the people as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and had compassion on them. Matthew's been building a case right from the beginning of his gospel that Jesus is the expected Messiah, the promised rescuer who would come not just to Israel but the, to the entire world. And here he, he draws on imagery that one of the prophets, Isaiah, draws on in the servant's song saying, look, Jesus is this servant. He is the one who has come in fulfillment of this. And the message, the good news, the disciples as they went out were to bring was that the kingdom of heaven had come near. The Messiah, God's rescuer, was walking the very earth he created. He created it with a word. He would heal with his words. He would commission his servants to speak and to carry forth the authority and the power that he had commissioned them with. And in their speaking was this invitation. Come, come, be restored to Creator Father God. Turn to Jesus. Put your belief in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Put your confidence in Jesus and you will be saved. So that was the message that went out uh, to the harassed and helpless among the towns and villages. And some responded, but many did not. We'll see, if you read through the book of Acts, the early church. They were all Jewish people who accepted Jesus as Messiah. There were tens of thousands, possibly a hundred thousand or more of them in Jerusalem alone that had responded. So this message did not fall on deaf ears, though not all responded. But because of this history, the Jews were given right of, kind of a right of first refusal, if you will, concerning the Messiah. This is another reason why the first mission that Jesus gives the Twelve, as he expands his influence, expands his ministry as an initiative, the first influence, the first mission, rather, that he gives to the Twelve is to the lost sheep of Israel. The found sheep of Israel are being sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And we don't, we don't talk about the ongoing implications of this very much today, at least not in, in the circles that I run. But I believe we're to understand this as an ongoing priority for us. There, there have been some in history who have said, look, um, the Jews did not respond, and so it's on to the Gentiles, and it's tough luck on them. And, and yet that's just not... It's not the facts of history because the early church was exclusively Jewish until they expanded to the Gentile regions through ministry of people like Paul and such. Um, but, but even Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who was a Jew himself, understood that the good news about Jesus was to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. Romans 1.16, Romans 2.9, Romans 2.10. It was to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. And so we want to be careful that we're, we're attending to the, the people in the nation of Israel, to the, the Jews who are in the diaspora among the cities of our world, inviting them to respond to their Messiah. Your Messiah, Jesus has come. Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, is here. Turn to him and be saved. So these were Jesus' ministry instructions to the twelve. 
And this is a little bit about Israel's role in God's plan, the lost sheep of Israel. But what instructions would Jesus give to us now? What ministry instructions are for us? I mean, I'm not Simon Peter. You're not, you're not James or John. We are not in first century Palestine. Uh, these were Jesus' ministry or, or mission instructions for them. And he gave these instructions because of the assignment he was calling them to. The instructions are specific to the assignment. But what is Jesus calling you to do? What's Jesus calling, what instructions would he give to us as his church here in Okotoks in 2019? Let me offer maybe several observations. We're always asking this question, what do we do next, Lord? But let me offer these, these observations. Number one, they responded to Jesus' commission after they'd responded to his invitation. It's been put, pardon me, it's been put this way, that they, they responded to Jesus' great commission after they had responded to Jesus' great invitation. The great commission is going to come, Matthew 28. We'll get there eventually, go to all the world, preach the gospel, uh, teaching them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The great commission. But, but already here in Matthew chapter 10, these disciples are following Jesus. They'd responded to the great invitation. When Jesus said, come follow me, they did. And they did with limited knowledge of who he really was. They were still figuring this out. They responded uh, before they really understood what this was going to mean. What's it going to mean to follow you, Jesus? Where are you going to lead us? What, what is that going to look like in my life? We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. But they did it. They, they followed Jesus. And the application is really just pretty simple for us. Begin by following Jesus. Believe in Jesus and turn to the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. John 14, 15. So, 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 Part of believing in Jesus and turning to the Lord is then becoming a student of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, signing up in University Jesus that we would understand, we'd hear his teaching as the disciples did, we'd observe his miracles, those he's worked, he worked then on the pages of Scripture, those he continues to work now here among us. And, and, and we begin by responding to this invitation to grow uh, up in him, to, to, to become one of his disciples, to, to mature in Christ. And here's a second observation. Uh, his first commission was to the immediate. His, his first commission was to the immediate. Here's what I mean. Jesus did not say, okay, you've seen me working here in Galilee, and you go to Africa, I've got this covered. Or you go to Asia, I've got this covered. The, the very towns and villages that they had been in with Jesus, their home territory, if you will, this is the mission field Jesus first sent them to. And I think there's a principle, again, that's pretty easy to see for us. I would encourage you, as, a, as you apply this to yourself, begin where you are. Begin where you are. What is Jesus calling me to do? He's calling me to begin where I am. And, and so live, live as his follower um, in your home, to, to, your, to your spouse. I, I mean, consider your spouse to be part of your mission field. Live the gospel out before him or before her. Uh, the Apostle Paul to husbands, speaking to husbands, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the gospel, friends. That, that's, that's a little picture of living out the gospel, of do, being like Jesus to your spouse. Husbands, lay your life down. Prefer your house. Find ways to live for your, your spouse, for your wife. 
um, as a follower of Jesus, live out the gospel to your, to your spouse, but in your home, to your family. I mean, your family is part of your mission field. Do what you can to, to, to lead them to know, love, and serve Jesus. Now, it'd be to your school, your place of work, the street where you live. Uh, live out Jesus. This is your mission field. This is what Jesus calls you. Begin where you are. Um, the, the clubs or, or the teams or the associations that, that you're involved in around town, these are places that Jesus calls us to minister first. Does that make sense? Now, th- these are just kind of observations coming out of this text. What do we do? Uh, you know, how do we respond to the commission of Jesus? Here's a third observation. Uh, be open to the next steps. Be open to the next steps. Now, now, now I need to qualify this in this way. Um, th- this is all a growing process, right? I mean, I begin ministering in response to Jesus' commission before I have it all figured out. <laughs> that was true for the disciples. They didn't have it all figured out by Matthew chapter 10. Um, but I get this opportunity with the little bit that I know to start living that out. And that's at home. But maybe maybe it's, it's, it's expanded from there somehow. There's a next step that becomes an obvious and a good next step for you. I've seen, that, I've seen it work this way for like short-term mission trips. I've seen them be very, very helpful for people. We often come home from these experiences with kind of an expanded realization of how Jesus wants to use us. An expanded sort of courage, maybe, uh, that he did use us there. And maybe I, I came, I've come home from more than one mission trip. I've, I've been away on international assignment two or three times. And I've often come home and thought, man, why am I not doing what I did there, here? And, and it be emboldened me and empowered me and equipped me. Um, it, it's very easy for a pastor like myself to just live within the church, like just have Christian friends uh, that I associate with, but believers who are sort of in my circle, um, and, I end, and end up kind of inadvertently becoming cut off from the friendships and the relationships uh, in the broader community. So, you know, seven and a half years ago when, when Ann and I moved here to Okotoks, um, I wanted to do something proactive so as not to end up like that, to avoid that happening. Um, our kids, our older two, were in the high school at the time, um, and, and well, Catherine's in high school, Daniel's junior high. But um, and the schools were looking for parents to be involved, to, to participate. And you know, our kids were involved in the arts, so I got involved in the arts. You know, volunteered with uh, some away training trips with the kids, just to be a chaperone. Uh, got involved with uh, main stage, was co-producer. Got involved with uh, parents, uh, music parents association. Um, uh, it was great. I, I have some friendships from those those years that, that uh, I cherish. Um, uh, va- I value the, the relationships that were there. Um, uh, our Daniel, the younger of the two, graduated high school. We didn't have anybody in high school for a while. And uh, so I, I just started asking the Lord, how would, how would you have me serve now? Like, where would I invest myself so that I'm involved in our community in a meaningful way, building relationships with others. And he opened the door for me to conduct the Foothills Philharmonic Orchestra, of all things. And, and again, I'm, I'm connecting with real people whom I love, um, amazing people in the Foothills Philharmonic Society as well as in the orchestra. And my, my prayer is just that they'll see Jesus in me. And, and then if I have opportunity to, to speak of Jesus, that I'll, I'll have courage to do so sensitively, appropriately. Um, and... And then watch, where is Jesus at work 
where is there someone who's responsive? And just like the disciples were being watchful, uh, invest myself there. Invest a little more time and effort there. Um, so often we've come away from, from these little ministry ventures or, or an international ministry assignment uh, and have been, have been inspired, have been transformed and changed. Uh, Mike Kaiser's uh, out. Uh, he left for Guatemala on Tuesday. Thank you for praying for him. Uh, he made a, a safe trip to, to the U.S. to get more water filters and back and, and made his plane and he's in Guatemala now. Uh, we'll keep praying for him. Um, uh, but, but you've heard some of Mike's story on that, how he was inspired to do more. So if we were to take this commission that Jesus gave to his disciples, we would say, well, how would we commission one another in this? And maybe we should have done this specifically with Mike, but, but, but it, would be, it would be something like this. Mike, go to the lost sheep of Guatemala. Uh, heal the sick. Uh, prevent early deaths from, from po- polluted water. And, and cleanse houses of harmful smoke, increasing the safety of the people there. Um, live out Jesus as best you can and, and point them uh, to the one who's brought the kingdom. Uh, freely you have received, freely give. M- maybe that would be the commission. And we, you and I can listen on to that. We'd say, well, it's inspiring. I can learn. I can apply. And this is how we look on to this biblical text in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we, we could gain much about my mission on my street or in my school or in my office. It's going to be different, right? You know, I'm not, you're not going to walk into your place of work with an inline water filter in a bucket and, and pump a glass of water for your neighbor. They'll think you're crazy. You know, if, you, if you go into your neighbor's house down the street and say, hey, I'm going to set up a smokeless stove in your living room or in your kitchen, um, you know, you're not going to be doing the kingdom of heaven a service. The need is different. You know, so we're going to re- bring different resources to the assignment that Jesus gives to us. But there's a similarity here. We can see that. Uh, our instructions, Sheila Marsh is, is going to be leaving for Ethiopia this afternoon. Uh, we talked with Sheila last Sunday. But this commission would maybe sound kind of similar, but it would be a little different than the instructions that we'd give to Mike. Sheila, as you, as you go, go to the lost sheep of Ethiopia. Go to the children in the orphanages that you've been involved with. And go to them in the name of Jesus and and heal the sick with the medicines that you're bringing. And shelter these children and love them in the name of Jesus. And may Jesus raise up a generation of Ethiopian nationals who will serve the purposes of Jesus there. Sheila, as you go, pray for them and watch for where God will be at work in them. Freely you have received. Freely give. Helen, we talked to her this morning, is going to Myanmar on this kind of reconnaissance trip on behalf of YWAM. Helen, go to the lost sheep of Myanmar. And, and, and bring your knowledge as a Bible teacher and your insights. Um, bring the resources of YWAM and, 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 and us as the people of God. And discern carefully how God would have us serve uh, the national church in Myanmar. And bring back uh, a report that we might invest ourselves there. As you, that you as teachers would raise up more teachers in that nation. Uh, freely you have received. Freely give. Friends, who is Jesus calling you to? Uh, 
In your bulletin, we've placed a bookmark. We've created it for this purpose. On one side, it invites you, it reminds you to engage in a process of building genuine friendship. Start with prayer, share a cup, share a meal, share your friends. It's how we build relationships. This is just normal relational stuff. Um, but we start with prayer the way Jesus started with prayer. He saw uh, the sheep were, uh, the, the her- were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he says to his disciples, pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers for the harvest field. So we start with prayer. Jesus started with prayer. We better do the same. Uh, the flip side of the bookmark helps you with that. Start with prayer. People I'm talking to Jesus about. We're following Jesus, right? When he was moved with compassion, um, he called them to pray. Um, so, so before I talk to my friends about Jesus, I need to be talking to Jesus about my friends. I need to be praying. Lord, Lord who would you put on this list? Who would, I, who would I be seeking you for? Friends, the compassion of Jesus compelled him to the masses. Uh, it compelled him to commission the twelve to go. And he's commissioning you and he's commissioning me as well. Who are you praying for? Grab a pen, grab a pencil, that bookmark, and would you stand with me? The worship team is going to come, um, but stand with me and we're going to pray together. Lord, Lord Jesus, we, um, we recognize that you are at work in our world doing an amazing thing. Uh, and it has been going on for 2,000 years, and we continue to be those whom you are calling to represent you. You disciple us, you let us watch and, and, and learn and grow, but then you send us out, and we, we learn even more. Uh, we learn by doing. Uh, we learn as you empower us. We learn as we step out in faith according to what you're calling us to. And so, Jesus, I pray that you'd guide us concerning who should be on our list, who should we be praying for specifically in the hopes that you'd open the door of, to, to meaningful co- spiritual conversation, uh, that, that, that we would somehow be effective light uh, to them and, and, and invite them to see you in us and through us. Lord, would you show us? Would you, would you help us put uh, some appropriate names down on that list and begin to pray? Friends, let me commission you in the name of Jesus this morning. To go to the lost sheep who are around you. Let them experience the compassion of Jesus through you. Help those who are harassed. Shepherd those who are lost. And invite them to consider Jesus, the great shepherd. And to look to him for healing and deliverance. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is with us, who is equipping us, who is empowering us. And all God's people together said, Amen and Amen.